Welcome to the I Don't Give a Should show, a podcast exploring all the ways that women should all over themselves. How many times do you find yourself acting out of obligation or doing what everyone else expects from you without stopping to consider why? Where do all those beliefs that are driving you come from? If you're tired of feeling resentful, overwhelmed, stuck, exhausted, or pissed off, you are in the right place. Shooting all over yourself is a real thing, but it doesn't have to be in the driver's seat. I'm your host, Jen Sherwood, and I spent way too many years trying to prove that I was good enough and worrying what other people thought while avoiding conflict at all costs. Today, I don't give a shit. Well, not as many anyway, and neither should you. I'm talking to women like you who figured out how to stop shooting and start living. You're listening to the I Don't Give a Should Show, episode number 23. Today, my guest is Dr. Jerika Dodd. Dr. Dodd is a pharmacist, an entrepreneur, a coach, and a leader. She's been a pharmacist for 24 years and is the founder and CEO of Your Pharmacy Advocate LLC with a mission of providing pharmacist advocate care for patients seeking better health results. She has spoken on stages all over the country. She is a coach to women in pharmacy to build businesses, and she is the proud executive director, excuse me, executive editor, probably director as well, of Pharmacist Magazine, celebrating women in pharmacy. It's amazing, you all. It's beautiful. You have to check it out. And Dr. Dodd gets joy from traveling, reading, cooking, and attending cultural events. I am so thrilled that you are here. I got to hear you speak an Elevate Pharmacy Summit that Blair Tielemeyer was hosting. And I was so inspired by your story that I was like on a mission, like, how can I get Jerika on here? How can I talk to her? How can I share her story? And I'm so grateful that you agreed to do this and that you are here today. So welcome. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. And it was my pleasure to meet you after the summit. Uh, I can't wait. So, okay, because I can't wait, because I get so excited. Let's do this. Jerika, will you please tell us what it was like for you when you were living under the shoulds? Well, as you were giving your intro, I was thinking like I was the valedictorian, valedictorian of should university. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, I was the valedictorian of should university because I think by nature, my personality is one that's definitely respectful of authority, which is you should be this way. Yes. um, As you mentioned in the intro, I am by training a pharmacist and pharmacists are very risk averse. I like to say that they definitely color between the lines. They don't color outside the lines and they usually fit nice and neatly into whatever box society healthcare world, our families, whatever box they think we should fit into. So as I said, I was a valedictorian of Should University because I checked all those boxes and I fit into them as a pharmacist should. Mm, Yeah. So what does that mean to you? Does that mean like your family had certain expectations of how life was going to move along for you, sort of the typical, you'll go to school, you'll go to college, you'll da, 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 da. And you did all of that? Or what did that look like for you? So it specifically looked like, yes, the expectation was that I would go to college. And I don't know that I would have done anything differently. 
And I was definitely able to pick the major that I wanted. However, I think that society in itself, I mean, if, if, if I asked you, what do you think of when you think of a pharmacist? Usually people respond and go, oh, the person at the drugstore who fills my prescriptions. 100%. That's what many people think a pharmacist should look like. So I've always had a job, if you will, outside of the normal, what people think a pharmacist should look like. And not only did I have a job that was outside the norm, but when I left that job four years ago, I think people thought I'd lost my mind. (laughs) Right. Never mind that I was falling asleep while I was driving Mm -hmm. because I believe I had just hit a wall and burned, burned out, burned out. However, how could you leave? Like, that's not what you're supposed to do. Right. You have this job. You've reached this level of quote unquote success. What are you doing? What are you meaning that you're going to sell your house and move across the country and go live in a city that you love? That's not what you should do. Yeah. And so many people, it was very interesting as I started making changes in my life. And that drastic one was definitely leaving my job because I needed to do something to take care of my health or I wasn't going to be around for long, falling asleep while I was driving. And so in that process, understanding that many people have ideas for what your life should look like, because people assume that pharmacists are rich. I mean, there's all kinds of stories that even go along with the should because the stories actually support what you should be like, because this is what I think of when I think of a pharmacist. They're very smart. They have a lot of money. So you should not leave your job. You should not go live in a city that you love. You shouldn't do that. Yeah. What was happening before you decided to leave? So you were saying that you'd hit a wall and you're falling asleep while you're driving. What led up to that? What was happening in your life? And what I'm wondering is, you know, were you shitting on yourself and trying to do certain things? But what was happening? Probably unconsciously shitting Mm -hmm. on myself because I grew up and I just remember from being eight years old, my dad saying to me, it's not your job to make everyone else happy. Oh, what a wise man, though, saying that to you. But how do you tell an eight year that I mean, that was a very wise thing. But at eight, how do you know how not to make if that's what you see in me? He didn't say, and this is how you don't do that point. Yeah. So, yeah, I remember that he said it. I, I, yeah, I remember all of that, but it was something from that young that I just grew into a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. And so when you start down that dangerous slope of people pleasing, I think a lot of shoulds come from there because yeah. the people that are used to being pleased by you go, well, you should do this and you should do that because that's what pleases them. Right. And so I think that I just slid right into the should university and that cap and gown, it fit very well because at eight years old, someone had already identified that I didn't have to do that though. How do you tell an eight-year-old and train an eight-year-old not to? So when I got to the point of falling asleep and while I was driving and, and all of that, it was because I had spent many adult years 
trying to make everybody else happy because I thought that's what I should do. Yes. And so I thought that my family needed me. I thought that my church where I was on ministry staff, that nobody could do without my help. Yeah. That I should help them. I should help them before I should help myself. Yeah. So a lot of the shoulds, I think, became my understanding of where my place was in the world. And then I think, like I said, some of it comes from family and some of it comes from society and everybody has expectations. And so at that time, the burnout came from supporting my father, who has stage four lymphoma Mm. and supporting him through a chemo and radiation journey supporting my mother through stage I mean, uh, triple bypass heart surgery and supporting her through a resulting dementia wow. that happened at, that resulted when she came out of that surgery. And then ultimately five months after that, I had brain surgery. And I remember talking to the neurosurgeon and thinking, well, what happens if I don't do this? Cause I'm so busy taking care of everybody else and serving and doing what I think I should be doing that I really wasn't even willing to even consider that I should be taking care of myself. Oh, hold on, hold on. I want to stop that for just a second. So you find out from the neurosurgeon that you need brain surgery and you think, well, but mom has this and dad has this and I have all these people to take care of. I don't really have time to take care of myself. So what happens if I don't do this? This was literally a conversation. That was my question. And he he shrugs his shoulders. It was very matter of fact. He says, well, you'll be paralyzed. And I went on to ask another question. So what happens if I don't do this was a very pivotal question. But this one I think is even more pivotal. And then I said, how long do I have? So literally, I was asking him, how long can I push it? How long can I not take care of me until I become paralyzed? And he said to me, he actually said, Ms. Dodd, I don't have a crystal ball. I can't answer that for you. But what I can tell you is that you have one of the worst cases we've seen. Wow. The fact that I was willing to ask, how long do I have? which basically I was saying, how long do I have until I'm paralyzed? Because if he had said, okay, so you'll be paralyzed on July 16th, then I would have been like, okay, let's have the surgery on July 15th. Right? I'm going to work with everybody else up until July 15th, and then I'll come in for surgery. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was, you know, now when I think back on that event, I can't even believe that I went, if you have to ever go see a neurosurgeon, I would suggest you take someone with you because mm. you, you don't go see the neurosurgeon about playing hopscotch. You right. go to see the neurosurgeon about him doing surgery. Right. So I can't believe that I went by myself. I had no one else in the room and I am trying to be human and get this news, but also be healthcare professional and have a intelligent intellectual oh, yeah. change. And I was not in the place to do that because obviously you see logic was not even ruling in that conversation from my standpoint, because I'm trying to put it off months. I'm trying to have all these conversations about well, what if I don't like I've got options. I only had one option, be paralyzed or not. Yeah. So was this the catalyst? Was this the thing that finally made you say enough? Yes, but. It's interesting because humans have amnesia. Yes, we do. (laughs) We talked about that when we talked first, and I gave you an example of why we have amnesia. So even though I was like, okay, everybody else is going to have to wait. 
the chips are just going to fall where they fall because I need to have surgery. Well, when that took place and I got better, I went right back to what I used to do, what I should be doing. Yeah. People expected of me. So it's no wonder that two years later, I'm falling asleep while I'm driving. Mm-hmm. Because number one, if you've ever had brain surgery, which most people have not, there's more than just the surgery. It's not like, okay, done. It's There's so much that I don't even think that I was prepared for, mentally prepared for, much less the physical piece of having surgery. And so... As soon as I was cleared, I went right back to work and got back on my hamster wheel doing yeah. what I should do. Remember, I was a valedictorian. Yeah. And so I had to do what I was supposed to be doing. And two years from that, I was exhausted and found myself falling asleep while I was driving. No one could figure it out. It was this really a nebulous ailment. Mm-hmm. There was no answer. The neurosurgeon was like, hey, I'm done. I did surgery. There's nothing else for me to do here. The neurologist was really kind of like, ah, I, I don't know. And so what I realized was that in that short amount of time, I had gone right back to not prioritizing me. Yeah. And I believe that for me and my journey, that the way God gets my attention is through me paying attention to my health because I'm like, okay, I'm falling asleep while I'm driving. This isn't going to turn out well. And I don't have, yeah, I'm like, this this can't turn out well. I don't have narcolepsy. Yeah. So there's not really that explanation why. And so I made one of the biggest decisions to leave my job. And so you can imagine because the people who are used to you doing what you should. Yeah are watching and you're making a decision because you're now all of a sudden going to choose yourself. They're going, you don't no, no, don't you can't. Are you sure? Mm -hmm. But I felt like I had no choice. I was like, if I keep going at this rate, I'm going to kill myself or I'm going to kill somebody else or both. It almost reminds me of what you said about when you met with the neurosurgeon and the choice was be paralyzed or not. And so that was, you know, God's first knock. And then the second one was, I'm going to fall asleep at the wheel and kill myself or kill somebody else. And these are big flashing neon signs that got your attention, thankfully. And so this happens and you decide that there's something about the job. There's something about the way you're living your life that isn't serving you. So this is the thing that made you wake up or become aware. What did that look like? So you left your job. I think people fantasize about having something happen, some like catalyst. And then like you, you went right back to what you were doing. So this is your second catalyst. What did you do differently so that you didn't just walk back into the should university? What did you do to help you shift through this? Well, I, as I said, had to leave because it was like, okay, if I keep going at this rate, somebody's going to be collecting a death benefit pretty soon. And so Though it was frightening at the time, I had to jump. I trusted God and I bet on myself. And I didn't realize it at the time, but now when I look back, I've been jumping for a long time. Mm -hmm. I just was making a bigger jump. And I jumped into what I tried to plan out ever so carefully. (laughs) Doesn't work like that. Entrepreneurship. Yeah. But by the time I made the decision that I needed to leave, it was like, I don't have any time to call up 
a planner and let's lay this all out and look at it from all angles as my analytical pharmacist self would like to do yeah. I didn't have that time. It was like, you know what, this is the day, this needs to be my last day. I don't know, but I'll just have to figure it out. Yeah. And so figuring it out came at the price of relaxing and being able to sleep, mm-hmm. not having that. Oh, I'm afraid I'm going to wreck this company car because I'm falling asleep at 70 miles an hour. And even if it's just for a split second, oh, yeah. your life can change in a split second. Absolutely. So it became this intriguing, like, okay, I've got to figure it out. I've got to figure out how to do this. I know I'm a smart lady. I know I can do it. I've just got to find the right people to guide me along. And so I started looking into coaches who can coach me to go from this point to this point. And I had already hired coaches before I left my job, but now it was like, this is do or die. This is sink or swim. This is, I want to eat. So, and I want to have a place to live. I've got to do something. And if you know anything about pharmacists, we were not trained to make money. If you will, we were Mm -hmm. trained to fill prescriptions and take care of patients. Yeah. From a clinical yes. perspective, that doesn't make you individually money. It does right. for whatever entity you work for. But here I was going, I've got to figure this out. And so I believe that when you need to figure something out, especially as an adult, it's why you don't try to go buy the piano lessons book and sit at home and teach your child how to play piano. You go, I'm yes. find someone who knows how to do this and I'll pay for the knowledge. And so that's what I did. And I just started putting one foot in front of the other. And it has, I mean, when I look back, it amazes me because what I thought I was going to do when I first left my job doesn't look very close to what I actually do now. I would have never guessed the people that I would meet along the way. Yeah. I would have never had my head up looking around to meet the people that I meet today. I don't think I would have ever taken advantage of the opportunities that come before me. I don't think that I would have traveled the way that I did pre-pandemic. I just think of all those experiences and go, wow, if I had kept my head down and just kind of shrugged my shoulders and kept doing what I should be doing. And you must know that when you do something different than what society or the world or your family or your friends or your peers think you should be doing, people definitely watch and Mm -hmm. they check up on you Mm -hmm. because usually they don't have or have never had the strength, the willingness, the guts, the whatever you want to fill in that blank to do it. And so when you do it, they lean in and they look and go, wow, she's doing that. Yeah. And these days in the world of social media, people can see a lot easier. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You found the strength. And it sounds like for you, faith was a big part of this coaching and faith and really elevating yourself, educating yourself and doing what was the next, you just kept doing the next step to get you where you are. So what is life like today? And one thing I want to say, there are, and I actually want you to speak to this since you are the valedictorian, 
I don't think the shoulds ever hundred percent go away. There might be like a, it comes up, but then you, you manage it differently. But so as I ask this question, what is it like on the other side of the shoulds? I want to be clear for our listeners. I don't want to be unrealistic should still come knocking at the door, but it's how you deal with it. So what is life like today? So I'll say first that relationships are different. And sometimes that can be a little unsettling. Mm-hmm. People have been used to you yeah. many years a certain way. Yes. And now you're that, not that way anymore. They don't know quite how to handle that. Mm-hmm. And they may... And so you may have relationships that go by the wayside. And I think that that's a healthy thing that sometimes some people are not meant to be in your life forever. Yeah. I think that you reach a new level of, I still have things that I'm fearful of, but having had brain surgery, oftentimes I compare and go, well, it's not worse than brain surgery. Oh, you can actually say that. (laughs) Not worse than brain surgery. Okay. I'll do it. Yeah. And also just what has become, what has I think been, and I use the word amazing. It feels like riding a roller coaster. And so, you know, even like when I've been on, haven't been on a roller coaster in a long time because of brain surgery, I can't ride them anymore. However, it, used to feel so exhilarating. Mm-hmm. So even if you were afraid of the height, just that momentum that would build as you inch up the oh, hill yeah. and you know, you're looking at your seatbelt, like, okay, I got this on. This is going to be good. This is working, right? This right. is hooked. Then that, you know, that fear rises because you're like, okay, no, okay. We're at the top of the hill. And then, you know, the, the little car sits still. For yes. Us. It pauses and you're just waiting anxiously. But then when you go down the other side of that incline and that exhilarating feeling, and then obviously you get down and you go right back up. Yeah. That's what this journey has been like. I've met some of the most amazing people. I have had my wits scared out of me at times. I have literally not known what to do at all moments. I have failed. And, and we just spoke about social media because of the work that I do, if I fail, it would be pretty public. Yeah. So I'm amazed at the people who get on my Zoom and go, I've been following you for years. And so then, and you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know. I didn't realize how many people were watching. Yeah. So there's that piece, but I have taken more chances than I think I would have if I had stayed in my little comfortable box, if I had allowed the regular way of what a pharmacist should look like to pervade in my life. Mm -hmm. I don't think I would know nearly the people that I know. I wouldn't have had nearly the experiences that I've had. I wouldn't say, this is fun. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit. So you're not a traditional pharmacist anymore. So tell us a little bit about how you're working now and who you work with. So I don't know that I was ever a traditional pharmacist, (laughs) but I know what you mean. I don't know. I don't practice in that regard, like what you would imagine anymore. I help women in pharmacy find their voice, build their brand, and market themselves to the world. Mm. It's not what we were trained to do. Yeah. And as our profession changes and you have more and more women who are stepping out and becoming consultants or following their heart's desire. I have two former coaching clients who 
are very much pharmacists, but they were like, I want to be a fashion stylist. And they have built businesses doing that. And I love using that example because that's not how the average analytical brain, which is to be more creative, if you will. But I coach women to find their voice, build their brand and market themselves to the world. And many come and don't have that confidence to begin with. Yeah. However, it's there. We just have to move some of the shoulds out of the way so that they can stand up and go, you know, I can do this. You know, I will do this. You know, I love doing this. It's so creative and it's so innovative. And I just love, there's so much joy emulating from you about what you do. And I'm certain that that's how your clients feel when they are also able to sort of put aside the expectations, the shoulds, and really go for that joy as well. I want to tell our listeners, you don't have to be a pharmacist to benefit from Jerika. I'm not a pharmacist. I'm a former audiologist, as most of you know. And so I really want to just say that because there's there's just so much inspiration in watching you and listening to you. And you don't even have to be somebody who's trying to build a business. This is, she's just, there's so much about that letting go of the expectation and should and building that confidence. So can you tell our listeners where they can find you? Because I imagine there are people who want some Dorica. Uh, so um, where they can find me on social media, I hang out on LinkedIn quite mm-hmm. a bit. It's my largest platform following and usage is on LinkedIn. So they can send me a message. My profile is Dr. Jerika Dodd, D-O-D-D. They can send me a private message or direct message. They can follow me. I have a group of women. It's called Women in Pharmacy, What's Next? But as you said, you do not have to be a pharmacist or even in pharmacy to participate. So I have a group there and I am preparing to produce a three-day experience called Women in Pharmacy, Nothing Held Back, because I believe, and not necessarily it wasn't based upon what we shouldn't do, but because we do a lot of shoulding all over ourselves, we do hold back. We hold back who we really are. We hold back our dreams. We hold back what we can offer to the world because someone has somewhere said what we should be doing. So I will be training for three days in that experience to help women stop holding things back. I love that so much. What you just said, shitting leads us to hold back. It's so, so true. Okay. So if they're not on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, anywhere else? Instagram and Facebook. I am in both places and I'm definitely responsive on those platforms too. So Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Perfect. Okay. We've got you. And we'll put this in with the posting so that people can find you easily. So Jerika, thank you so, so much for being here. This has been such a pleasure, but really it's just been such a joy. I just get so much just even being around and chatting with you. So thank you for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. And those of you that are listening, join us next time. Hey friend, if you recognize yourself in these stories and you don't want to give a should anymore, you have to join my coaching community, the GC. Come learn the tools to recognize when fear and worry are running the show and how to shift into more of what you want without guilt or blowing up your life. Unless, of course, that's what you want. Inside the GC, you'll learn strategies to start making yourself a priority. Stop saying yes when you mean no. Have hard conversations and so much more. 
And you get to do this with a group of women who are making the same changes in their lives and are there to support you, not judge you. It's a seriously warm, safe space where genuine connections are made. The GC is where doubt and loneliness meet their match. You can get all the info at jennifersherwood.com slash the GC. But if you're not ready for something like that yet, I've got you. Head over to my website, jennifersherwood.com and hit the relief right now button. I'll send three ridiculously simple steps to go from overwhelm to ease. 